Thank you for, for leading us this morning, and it's good to be back. Like I mentioned at the very beginning, thank you, Nick, for filling in for me last week. It was a, a, a joy to get to, to experience a little more of Arkansas. We got to go to, I guess it's pronounced Pettigene, um, this pa- or last weekend, and we got to see uh, it, it had rained. It was a beautiful place, and it was good to get away. You can take your Bibles. We're going to eventually get to this, this section in Hebrews chapter 10, but we're, it's going to be a little bit before we get there. But we're going to look for the next few weeks at church membership. When I was in the seminary going for my doctorate, when I got to the final part, my final project, it's kind of like a dissertation, I had to survey the church where I was serving at the time. I had to do a little questionnaire for them. And there were about 10 questions on this questionnaire. Well, the first question that I had to ask him was this. What is the difference between a church member and somebody who just regularly attends a church? And I got about 35 people in the church to fill out this questionnaire. And that very first question troubled or stumped a lot of the people. I got a lot back that were blank, some that had some question marks. I did get some answers, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But as I looked over that, it made me think, well, if they, they, they struggle with this, I wonder what pastors would say to this question. And at the time, on Mondays, I would go to a pastor's conference where there were about 11 to 12, 13 pastors that would meet regularly. We'd talk about things, drink coffee, and, you know, that's what pastors do on, on Monday morning. And uh, I asked this question. I said, hey, guys, at your church, what's the difference between a church member and somebody who just regularly attends church. And uh, some of these guys have been pastors longer than I'd been alive. And, and, and it was quiet. They didn't immediately answer. It was, just, it was just kind of like, and they did what all of us do when we're in a place where somebody asks a theological question or you're in a class, and they put on their pondering face. You know, the, hmm. You know, we all look when somebody asks a question, like, I don't really want to answer, but I want to look like I'm thinking about something. So they just... Finally, they started to, to talk. They started to speak. And, you know, we, we, we talked about it for a while. But we really, well, we thought, if we're pastors, and this is kind of a tricky question, I'm sure everybody else out there is kind of going, well, what is the difference? Does it really matter? I mean, if somebody can just come to a church for years and years and years and never really join, is there any real difference? Should there be a difference? How does that difference play out? And does it really matter? Especially, uh, just even talking this morning, especially for the the younger crowd, they they really go, what is the the difference? Well, as I told you, this was part of my my dissertation, and it's something that I've studied quite a bit. There is a difference. It is important. And and what I want to do is we kind of go through this series. I'm not going to, you know, it's not to make people feel bad if they haven't been a church member or whatever. It's to sit there and say, "It's, it's important, and I want you to be a member of this church or wherever it is. I know we have visitors and guests and different things. Wherever it is that you go to church, that you call your church home, you should want to be a member there. And hopefully as we look at the the Word of God and we see some things in the New Testament, we'll see why that's important. But one of the first questions that that people raise, and, and I want to talk about this right here at the very beginning, is just simply this. Is church membership really even a thing? And what I mean by that is people will come to me when I talk about this subject and they'll say, well, pastor, when I look through the New Testament, I don't see them keeping some sort of formal list or having a list of names of people who are part of the church or a member of the church or there's some sort of passage that talks about that. And while 
If you look at 1 Timothy, there's some things about lists and all of that. I, I get where they're coming from. They're right. I can't sit there and say, go to first whatever and say, here's where it tells you the process and the procedures and everything with church membership. But the way I would answer that question, is church membership even a thing, is basically this. It's so self-evident, you don't really have to put it in there. I'm going to put something on the screen that basically, this is kind of the, the, the launch point for this point. It's, it's for any organization to exist, it has to have some form of membership. That's what makes it a distinct organization. There's people that are in and people that aren't. Let me try and give you an illustration to help lay this out a little bit. Football season is upon us, right? I mean, it's close, especially college football. It really starts next week. And are you excited? Okay, I wasn't sure if you're going to... I mean, I was looking at the top 25. I'm from Pennsylvania. Penn State's number 10. There's a certain team that I didn't notice in the top 25 yet. You're saying, yet, it's coming, it's coming. But anyway, when we talk about sports, and it could be anything, let's just use college football for an example. There are some people, when they talk about it, they talk as if they're actually part of the team with the words that they use, right? They, they a lot of possessive pronouns, we and are, you know, like we look like we have a good team. We got a new coach this year. Our offensive line looks really good or, or whatever, or we look terrible. But they use those types of words. Now, let me ask you this. Are they really on the team? Well, no. How do you know that they're not really on the team? Well, if they showed up at the stadium to run out for practice or to go sit in the coaches meeting, what would happen? I mean, if you showed up for game day and walked into the locker room and said, hey, I'm on the team, do you think it would work? No. There are certain things that you say, nope, you're, you're, you're not on the team. Well, everything works this way. I mean, you might right now want a new job. And you may have the perfect job that's just, you think this is perfect for me. Can you just show up tomorrow and say, hey, I work here? Sit down and be like, bring me some work to do, and I expect to get paid in two weeks. No, there are certain things that have to take place. Every organization group works this way. Churches are the same. There are certain things when we read in the New Testament that require some way of recognizing who's actually a part of a local body of believers. Hebrews chapter 13, I'll have it on the screen, kind of is, it's chapter 13 verse 17 is just a verse I'll use to illustrate this point. It says this, chapter 13, verse 17 of Hebrews. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So as we read this verse, it says, obey your leaders. He's writing to a congregation of people, church people, Christian people. It says, obey your leaders, submit to them. And then it has this little thing about what those leaders are supposed to do. They're keeping watch over your souls. Now, as a pastor, I would ask this question. To whom do the leaders watch over and for whom will they be accountable? Is it just everybody that shows up? As, as Dave noted, there's, there's probably some folks here, it's their, maybe it's their first Sunday they've ever been to Cornerstone. And if so, glad you're here. Glad you're, you're participating with us this morning. But does that mean for, the, for a leader in the church that they are watching over this person's soul because they happen to show up today? And maybe it's a person who's just trying out some different churches. They just moved to this area and they're going to be here. And next week, maybe they're going to go to First Baptist Sherwood. And so, for a leader, does that mean that we are watching over their soul for part of this week till like Tuesday at 1230, and then we hand them off? 
And it may seem kind of silly, but, but this is serious. This is the word of God, and it says, they are keeping watch over your souls as what? Those who will have to give an account. Is it fair to look at, you know, Jeff and, and Bill and the elders of this church, Dave, and say to them, hey, we're, it's just kind of fuzzy who it is that you're going to actually have to stand before an almighty God and give an account? No. There has to be some recognition that these guys can say, this is part of the flock and this is not. I preached not long ago in 1 Peter. In chapter 5 of 1 Peter, Peter, an elder, was writing to the other elders of the church, and he said, keep, a count or keep watch over the flock that's among you. Shepherd the flock that's among you. A shepherd is responsible for the sheep that's part of his flock. If he's out there watching over the sheep and another one happens to just wander in, he doesn't go, well, I got this one for today. And let's just, well, he wandered over to Creek. He's somebody else's. No, it's not his. It's his flock. And for the leaders of the church, for things like church discipline and what we see here in Hebrews, there has to be some way of, of, of recognizing who is or who isn't part of it. And so that's how when people say, is church membership a thing? Yes, it has to be. There has to be some way of recognizing who is or isn't. You, the church called me as the pastor here, right? Well, who did it? Somebody had to do it. It had to be some way of recognizing this is how, where the authority lies. And so church membership is a thing. And so the question then would be, what does it look like? Why is it important? And that's really what I want to talk about. And the verse that I'm going to use is kind of a launching pad for this whole series. It's Acts chapter 2, verse 42. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it's a short verse. We're actually going to be in Hebrews most of the time today. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. This is a verse that comes at the end of the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches, and 12 people that are are the disciples of that time become 3,000. 3,000 join the church. They become followers of Christ. And how does it work after that? I mean, how do these people that have just now become part of the kingdom of God, how do they, they act? How do they behave? What does it look like? Well, this verse... There's probably been a million sermons preached using this verse kind of in a brief way summarizes it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And I'm going to kind of use this verse going through it bit by bit to launch into some other areas to say, hey, this is, this is what we want to look at. And today is that word devote. They devoted themselves. When I was, I wrote, I had that little questionnaire that people had to fill out. What's the difference between a church member and somebody who just regularly attends? This word or this idea or this concept was what everybody came up with. There's a commitment level. There's a devotion. There is a, a sense of being a part in a way that's a little deeper for those that say, I want to be a member. And in this verse, as we see the, the church in its, its, its infancy, as it just starts out, this is the verb used to describe their attitude, their, the way they worked. They were devoted. And the passage of Scripture this morning I want to use to kind of unpack this idea of, of devotion is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25. This is where we're going to be this morning. If you have your, your Bibles, I encourage you to be there. I kind of talked about that at the beginning. Chapter 10, verses 22 through 25. I'm going to ask you this morning if you would to stand in honor of God's word as I read through these verses. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an 
evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word and what it teaches us. Lord, I pray for all of us this morning. Lord, that we understand the truth of why you gave us the church, why you gave us local bodies of believers, Lord, that we can participate in your kingdom through these. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. As we talk about devotion, we see in these verses three times you see this, let us, gives me three points. And I know we've, you're sitting there going, you've already had a lot of points. You'll be all right, trust me. I know, I know. Devotion starts with a heart for God. That verse, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance, sprinkled clean, bodies washed, pure water. There is a picture here of, of once we respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we respond to what Christ did on the cross. This is the way we, we draw near to him because of the gospel, not our good works, not anything like that. We had two baptisms this morning. It's a picture. They go into the water. They are, are in essence, dying to themselves, raising to walk in new life. They're a new creature. And this verse gives us that picture. Christ died for us. He is the Lord of our lives. And devotion starts there. Devotion to Christ is where our devotion to the church comes from. One of the big dangers I have as a pastor is I can overemphasize, if I'm not careful, the church and start saying, you know, it just with the focus is be a part of this, be a part of this group and everything. And the church then becomes just like a social organization I want you to be a part of. We do good things and all of that. I don't want that. What I want is for you to love Christ, to repent of your sins, to turn to him and say, he is the Lord of my life. And what's important to him is now important to me. A couple of years ago, I had a buddy get married. He was living in Nashville. I was in Memphis, and he invited me to his wedding. So I drove and went to his wedding. I never met his bride-to-be. When I got there, of course, I wanted to meet her. I wanted to get to know her and talk to her. Just why? Not because I knew who she was or anything like that, but because to my friend, this was the most important person in his life now. And because I, I liked my friend, he's my buddy, I wanted to like what he liked. Well, when we think of, of Christ and we fall in love with him and, and what he did for us and we draw closer to him, we realize, well, what's important to Christ? Well, the church. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to husbands about how they should look at their wives, what did he use? In, in Ephesians chapter 6, he said, husbands, love your wives as what? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that she could be sanctified and washed and presented and all of the things that he says, and it's this picture of Christ's love for the church. And you say, well, maybe that's the universal church. Whatever. We have local bodies of believers is how that expresses itself. Christ loved the church, and because Christ loved the church, I do too. Because he was devoted to the church, gave himself up for the church, I want to be that way as well. I also recognize this, that that... God gave the church to me as a gift. Sometimes we can complain about the church. We can gripe that, you know, 
people don't do what they should, or we fight and argue and this and that. And sometimes, you've, let me ask you this. Have you ever talked to somebody who, who says, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian, I don't go to church anywhere, I don't believe in organized religion, I don't have anything to do with that kind of stuff, I don't want to go down to the church, it's full of hypocrites and all of that. You know, have you ever heard that? I see a few heads, yeah. You know how you answer that? When somebody says that, you ask them this question. If you were having a heart attack, where would you like to go? Where would you want people to take you? Now, unless they're crazy, they'd say a hospital, right? The emergency room. Well, ask them this. Why would you want to go to a place where there's a bunch of sick people? I mean, the sickest people in a city are where? The hospital. I mean, a lot of people die there. If you're having a health emergency, why would you want to go to the place where a lot of people die? That doesn't make any sense. And they say, well, I want to go there because that's the only place that could help me. And you start to understand, yeah, the church is full of sinners and hypocrites and all of that. I've learned, and I'm 42 years old. I spent the first 30 years of my life as a member of a church just sitting where you are in the last 12 as a pastor. You learn more about the, the, the hypocrisy and the sin and all that other stuff here than you did out there. There's more reasons for me to say, forget this, than there was when I was out there. Not doing that, by the way. It's just, you know. But I also see how the church is a tool that God uses to change people. We just saw it this morning. I'm sure if you sit down and talk to folks, they'll say, yeah, I've, 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 I've seen problems and issues and all of that. It's like a family. Of course, they can be dysfunction at times. But it's how we nurture and we see people grow up in their faith. Devotion starts with a heart for God. Devotion continues with a mouth for the world. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. There's a double emphasis there. Let us hold fast without wavering. It's the steadfastness in our confession, our profession of faith. One of the things that church membership reinforces is it forces us to look at what we believe. When somebody joins Cornerstone, one of the things is is to go through the doctrinal positions that the church has. This is what we believe about God, what we believe about baptism, what we believe about Christ and salvation and sin. And it forces you to say, do I agree with this? Is this what I see from the Bible? It helps us form the foundation of our theology. John MacArthur is one of my great spiritual heroes. He's a pastor out in California. He's about 80. And he's probably one of the great theologians that America's produced in the past hundred years. And he's, he was writing that when he was younger, about 60 years ago, and he was looking to be a pastor, he really studied apologetics. He prepared to defend the faith, to defend the truth of the gospel. And he figured that most of the, the, the assaults and the attacks would come from people that don't profess faith in Christ at all. It would come from people like atheists, humanists, Muslims, Buddhists, whatever. And he said, yeah, I've spent some time defending the faith that way, but he said the the surprise that he shouldn't really have been surprised about was really a lot of the attacks on the core beliefs of the gospel have come from people who claim to be followers of Christ. And they've never, these are the folks that never really got into the Word of God and found the foundational truths of what it teaches. And being a member of a church and being, go through those, those doctrinal statements help us really understand what we believe and who we are so we can have that, as it says here, That confession that we hold fast without wavering for he who promised is faithful. You can just read through the New Testament. 
Paul talked about it numerous times. There's wolves in sheep's clothing. There are a lot of false doctrines, false gospels. The book of Galatians is all about a false gospel that had permeated the church. And when we don't pay that much attention to doctrine, well, it can destroy our confession. And church membership forces you to come to terms with biblical convictions. That's why I encourage everyone to go through that. The final point, the last couple of verses. Devotion continues with hands for the church. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our, or, 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 sorry, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day draw near. There's two ideas. First in verse 24, how to stir up one another to love and good works. Notice the order there, love and then good works. Love, the way we treat each other within the body. This is what Christ, if, if we're devoted to him and we see what's important to him, service and sacrifice is obvious. Look at the way he, he showed his disciples before his crucifixion when he washed to their feet. He emphasized to them, listen, you are to serve, to love. And here then that leads to good works, how we, we stir each other up to that. That word stir up actually is a little stronger than stir up. It's like provoke. It's like when you see a sleeping dog and you take a stick and you poke it. Don't do that, by the way, but you know. It's to kind of get in the face a little bit. When I used to play sports in high school, I mean, I usually gave 110%, but there were times when, you know, I'd be thinking about other things or whatever. And occasionally, you know, the coach or one of the other players gets in your face. Wake up! Come on, man, get in the game! And that's a little bit of the picture here of of what the writer of Hebrews is saying, how to stir each other up to love and good works, to kind of say, get in the game. Be a part of it. One of the things when I I first was talking to the elders about coming to be the pastor here, and it's no different here than it is at many, many, many different churches that so often we're trying so hard to find people to carry out the things that need to get done in the church. You know, who's in the nursery? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? And one of the, the, the hopes and the, the visions that we have is that someday everything that gets done at this church is done by people who are faithful members. Instead of sitting there saying, hey, we'll take, if you've been here three or four times, I mean, we need people to do this stuff. Come on, we need people to do this. To be, you're called to do it. This is me with the stick provoking a little bit. My dream as a pastor one day is to be sitting in my office. And have a church member walk in and say, hey, I want to serve in whatever capacity. And me to go, you know what? We're actually completely full right now. I'll find a place for you. But right now, we, we're, 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 we're brimming with, with volunteers. Every time I read 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, anyone who aspires to the office of overseer. And I think of that word, Aspires then one of the greatest privileges you'll ever have is the opportunity to serve in the bride of Christ. I don't care what else you do, nothing compares with that gift that he's given you, that it was considered a privilege and an honor for the church to say, would you be willing to do this? Not, if you can't find anybody else, I guess so. The second point in this this passage not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
that neglecting to meet together. Even in the first century, even just as the church was the beginning, there were those that said, listen, I, can, I don't need to meet together. I can skip it. I don't have to be dedicated to that. I'll just come if, you know, used to be the old joke, if it's really nice out, people won't be in church because it's really nice, they'll be doing things. If it's raining, they won't be in church because it's raining and that's a good excuse. If it's, you can come up with anything to fill in the blank. But I like the, the alternate of it. He says, don't neglect to meet together. Instead, what? Encourage one another. This is the other side of that, you know, provoking people. It's also sometimes people gather together to be encouraged, to be built up. There are some of you here today that are, it's been a rough week, maybe a rough month. Some of you have sinned big. Some of you, it's just things aren't going well at work or with the family or whatever. And there was a temptation to say, I'm just going to stay home. I'm just going to be away. And this is a verse that says, listen, devotion is one of those things where the church rallies around each other and it builds each other up. It's part of membership. One of the tough things for me as a pastor is I'll meet some people that have dropped out. You know, they quit coming, they quit participating. They weren't a part of the, the body for very long. And they say, preacher, nobody missed me. And I'll ask this question. You know, nobody came. And I'll say this, well, did you do anything to be missed? Were you there enough for anyone to notice? I mean, I'm not trying to get on anyone's case, but if, if it's sitting there saying, I, I come five minutes after the service starts, I leave the moment the pastor says amen, and I participate in no other way, well, what do you think's going to happen? I mean, I'm not going to ignore you, whatever, but I'm saying, listen, you want people to rally around you, rally around them. Join together. A couple of weeks, we're going to have our life group Sunday. I encourage you, if you're not a part of one, this is important. This is where those connections are made. Final little illustration. Just This is something you can take with you to think about. There are two types of people that go to a restaurant. And there's always a, a thing that they tell pastors, don't ever use a restaurant illustration because people are like, restaurant, right? Yeah, it's about that time. <laughs> but I know there's some food to eat right as soon as we leave, so don't worry about that. There are two types of people that go to a restaurant. First, there's customers, and then there's workers. When a customer goes to a restaurant, everything is designed to serve them, isn't it? I mean, you walk in, the first sign you see is, please wait to be seated. You can't even find your own table. That's how apparently dumb they think you are. Like, there's all these tables. You can't pick one out. They take you to a table. They sit you down. They bring you something to drink. Sometimes they bring you food that you haven't, you know, rolls or something. Then they give you a menu. Here's everything. It's catered to you. If you see a problem in the restaurant, the bathrooms are dirty or whatever, you don't do anything about it except go find somebody, right? Hey, somebody needs to clean that thing up. You can, when you get ready to leave, somebody takes your plates away. You don't have to, you just leave. Well, you got to pay, but you just leave. And you probably, for the rest of the week, don't really think about the restaurant. The only time it pops back in your mind is when you're getting hungry again and thinking you might go back. And the reality is you say, the restaurant better be up to snuff, because if it's not good enough, I'll just go to the other one down the street. Workers, on the other hand, have a totally different approach, don't they? They go to the restaurants immensely important to them. That's where they're going to get their livelihood. They're there to serve. They go out of their way to work with some of the other workers to make the experience good for the customer. They stay late if they have to. 
They may not be the person who's supposed to clean up the table, but they say, listen, if we're going to make it work, let's go get the, the food off the table. They are there to serve. Well, when people who profess Christ walk in the doors of a church, they have one of two attitudes. Some come in as customers. What are you going to do for me? Give me the list of your activities. Do you have something for everybody in my family? If I see a problem, who do I go complain to? I'm not fixing it. When it's over, I'm going home, and I get to the other 160-some hours out of my week. I don't really think too much about the place. But when I go back, it better be good. It better be just as good as the week before because there's some other places down the street. But other people come and they say, what can I do? Where can I serve? God has gifted me in certain ways. What does this church have? Maybe I can get plugged in here. I see a problem over here. There's a ministry that doesn't exist. I can do it. I can get plugged in. This place is vitally important to me. This is the, what Jesus Christ said. It's his bride. I want to be a part of it. I'll leave you with that. Are you a customer? You worker. When we read about the early church, there were lots of workers. They'd go visit brothers and sisters in Christ in prison, knowing that that put a target on their back. They would take up an offering when they didn't have any money to give to churches that were struggling. They would do anything and everything. They were so dedicated. They'd put their houses open for people to come and worship, knowing that that put a target on them, that they could lose everything. We get people that say, I, I'm, I'm done if the... They don't fix the thermostats this week. And we devoted. This is part of it. 